friends. Thank you for joining us for our podcast, No RSVP Required. This is Shay. This is Demille. And I'm T-Mac. All right, so how's my friends doing? Let's get into these cocktails. What are we drinking tonight? I'm drinking a little Ciroc Summer Citrix with a little bit of oranges and lime and um, lemon. Wait, you actually cut that up and put that in there? Yeah, but it's in a solo cup, so you can't see. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Not, not too classy to, tonight. <laughs> I can do the solo cup. What about you, T-Mac? I'm drinking water. I'm, y'all know I'm y'all weekend drunk friends, so I always have to recover <laughs> by the time we start drinking again. So H2O for me this time, you guys. No, nah, I feel you. I feel you. So I went to Aldi's today, and I had got something. It's like a wine. It's a sweet wine, and I hate sweet wines, but they had, like, these fruity wines there this time. And it's a sweet watermelon that I picked up. And um, and I was just like, huh, this is pretty good. So I'm, I'm drinking, and I'm sipping it. It's okay. It's refreshing, but it's not my cup of tea. Y'all know I like my dry reds, but I got something in my cup. So just some vodka in there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll put a shot of vodka in there just to spice it up. Give it a little razzle-dazzle. You know how that go. You know how that go. So how's, how's everything going? What's new, friends? Nothing much, but just working. Just trying to do our regular 9 to 5 and our hustle and bustle. Um, these last week last week or so has been really busy with work. Um, for, those, for those who don't know, um, I'm in healthcare. Um, so... It's been a little bit busy. Shout out to all my nurses. We just had our nurses week last week for that. But it's just been trying to figure out this new normal. Okay. Okay. How are you, T-Matt? All is well with me. Um, the hustle and bustle of the day-to-day, you know, in addition to um, being stepmama now. So I play stepmama this weekend. Y'all keep me in your prayers. Oh, I didn't know you was playing stepmama now. Okay. Yeah, I was stepmama this weekend. It's, okay. it's five of them. You yes, with all five of them? You know, pray for me again. You know, every time you think of me, with me in prayer. <laughs> um, five of yes. All right. Quite a few. Did you, oh, did you get some? <laughs> did you get some presents for Mother's Day? Huh? Did you get some presents for Mother's Day? No, we need to add that to this topics of conversations because we still almost get Mother's Day gifts. We need that. No, nah, ask, gifts. ask the question. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. We having these conversations. I, I didn't get a card or nothing, Jesus. I, I deserve oh, it. Yeah, what um, about you? I think stepmama should get something. I did too. I did too. Oh. I'm about to hit you with that Jaza. Jaza saved the baby with the grandmama. Then the grandmama. <laughs> then the stepmom. Then the stepmom. That's what I'm saying. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I just kind of chilled this weekend. I got a couple of things coming up soon. Um, just a couple of trips and like little events coming up. And y'all know I have to, I only have like a quarter in me. Once a quarter, I can kind of let loose and all that type of stuff. So I have to save my energy. So I just kind of chilled or whatnot. Didn't go to Atlanta to see my mother. Um, I'm going at the end of next month to see her. So I told her she's going to have to wait. But my mom's one of those people that like expect stuff all the time. So I was just like, look, I just, lady, I just took you to Vegas for your birthday a month ago. And now Mother's Day. And then I'm coming up there. I was like, you probably have to wait until I come up there. So what did y'all do for y'all moms for Mother's Day? Mm, I FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> I like your hesitation. Yeah, I FaceTime. Me and my mom are going through like the second or third phase of our 
her life, my life, relationship-wise, trying to figure it out. Because when we were, when I was younger, we were like best friends. Right. And then as I got older, we had this real weird relationship because my mom, my dad wasn't in the picture. So she became very, mom, I love you, but she became very co-pendent of the relationship. So when it was time mm. for me to kind of go out and spread my own wings, I don't think we ever recovered from that. So there is a need for a lot of attention, even though she praises and thanks all the time for, you know, for me and my brother for being, you know, where we at in life and stuff like that. But there is a lot of guilt trips type things that make us try to make to make me come back home. And I haven't been home in six years. But what? there's me, there's what? no perfect. Wait a minute, no, I didn't know no, that. No, no, oh, no. It's perfect, but it works for me. Okay. All so, right. You said it like you like you skipped Christmas this year, so you said six years. <laughs> <laughs> the last holiday I was home was Christmas six what? years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. You just skipped all over that. You just slid all over that. Oh, I ain't been home six years, but like it was last yeah. week. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about it, right. Ayana, Ayana, have you said they to help it's us out because we discovered it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you don't be on the East Coast with us. So, okay, sir, we're going to have to have a conversation about that right. at some point. Pray for yeah, it. We're going to put you on that picture of life. We're going to be up there with the, with the popcorn watching your episodes. <laughs> Just don't be like that one dude. Y'all remember that one dude that was crying real hard? They were doing the intervention and started crying. <laughs> We will clown. We will clown. All right. So let's talk about this since we in these cocktails and we pre-gaming before the actual conversation. What y'all think about outside being open? I know I live in Florida and we've been open for a little bit. Well, no, nah, not even for a little bit. We've been open for about a year, I'm sure. <laughs> so, you know, I've been outside just a little bit, but, you know, I'm still masked up, got my Purell and all that type of stuff, but people are kicking it. So, are y'all comfortable with the trajectory we got going right now, or how y'all feeling about outside being all the way open? Well, I think it's a 50-50, because here's the thing. I always have to put my healthcare hat on, right? Right. Because I understand the importance of not being cautious or following the rules, what can end up and see the side of the effects of a hospital standpoint and the healthcare workers and stuff like that. But I, I get the, 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 the mental piece of it of being inside of a, cooped up in your house for a whole year and needing to be out, right? right. So I think it's, it's that fine line of having a good balance between the, the two, right? Um, and then one thing it is, I think those people who were, you know, Back in the day before COVID, who was going to the bathroom, who didn't wash their hands, they wash their hands now, they use some hand sanitizer, right? I don't I think, know. You know I be seeing more. people. I be like, uh, <laughs> still. <laughs> There's still. some awareness on that piece to help with the whole overall infection piece. But at the end of the day, people are still, people are going to do what they want to do, right? I think it just requires some of us to keep doing the right things. So it's a balance. I, I, here's the thing, I can't, because even healthcare workers, I'll be honest, we, some of our healthcare workers, don't believe in PPE. They right. don't believe in the precautions. And these are people who are touching people every day to educate the communities and stuff like that. So that's why I say it's just an array of different um, situations of what side of the fence you can lie on. So I think if you have a good balance of it, if you're around your close friends and stuff like that versus going into a crowd of people you have no idea you're around and who's vaccinated, I think you just got to kind of lead that in that direction. Okay. Like, to answer your question, you said, you know, 
what I think about outside being open. My question is, when did outside close? Have you been to Atlanta? You been to you been to Dallas? You seen these turn up Houston. It was outside closed. All that. All that. So my my perspective is, I think that you know people cabin fever had had gotten to a point that people just became carefree. And so I think the best thing that we could do is do the best things that we can do to protect ourselves and, you know, decide whether we're going to be a part of it or, or not. And for me, I've been outside, but I've been outside, outside. <laughs> like, you know, you know, I've been patio pimping, you know what I mean? Branching it out, you know what I mean? Um, if, you, if you got an outside area, I'm in there, you know what I mean? So that's, that's where I've been. Uh, <laughs> Every day. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, I, so I feel you on that because, I mean, I don't know. I struggle with it because, you know, one of my little hats is I, I have like a party promotion company where we put together events and all that type of stuff. So we have things that we do. And, you know, I'm over there. Everybody's looking at me because I'm the only one with a mask on or, you know, I got my Purell in my hand and, and I'm sweating. Everybody like, Man, you look hot. And I'm like, I am because I got this mask on and it's 90 degrees outside. I'm a little bit better now since I'm vaccinated. I'm becoming a little bit more flexible and free. But, you know, I'm still thinking and, and still, you know, I don't want to get it. Because I see what happens with long COVID and, and people having long issues and things of that nature. Now, I don't want it. So, I mean, I'm still skeptical, skeptical, but I am a little bit more relaxed just because I'm, I'm vaccinated now and, you know, young and healthy and youngish and healthy, I guess I should say. And um, I don't know. We'll see. But I guess outside is open. So we about to we about to be out here, too, I guess. So catch me outside. Catch me outside. <laughs> catch me outside. So, um, so another thing that kind of went on this weekend that was interesting to me was this Dogecoin thing. Do y'all know a little bit about that Dogecoin and Elon Musk and all his mess he got going on? Oh, you have to update us on that one now, friend. <laughs> Listen, you, you taught me something. Because I've been calling it Doji uh, for the last month, but I did put a change. No, I was calling it Dogecoin, too. But the thing is, is I was watching Saturday Night Live with Elon Musk on it. And he was like, oh, Dogecoin. They kept saying Dogecoin. So I'm like, I'm assuming it's called Dogecoin. So yeah, I heard about I heard it. I don't, the main thing I know is I had to take my money out because I saw it going down. But y'all know I'm an amateur. So these are not stock tickets. Oh. <laughs> I put a little hundred dollars in there and I was like, well, wait a minute now, this thing's going down. So I, I the thing is, is that I was like, let me just put a couple of dollars in there just to see what it does or whatnot. I'm not putting my whole house and my, my savings in there because I don't know. I, I'm just a cautious investor, but it, I mean, I don't know. I think crypto is the future. I just don't know what it is for us. I don't like investing in anything that I don't understand and I've never understood crypto. I mean, people are buying houses and cars and, and going out to eat with crypto. And I'm like, I just don't get it. So, and then they started talking about how the dollar isn't real and things of that nature. And I was just like, I just don't know what to do with this information. So I put a little hundred dollars in there. I, I'm fine with losing a hundred dollars if I do lose it. But you know, it's just it's just kind of weird to me. Hmm. I just had to log on to my Robinhood to see if I ain't had something. Listen, I just be shooting <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> if, 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 it, if it's a good price, buy, buy, buy. So I'm the worst person, but I have I have some cryptos in here. Some you do? Yeah. 
But it's going, it went down. So it is what it is. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, I, I'm going to take a risk because it's worse than wasting money on something. So just gamble a little bit with right. some investment. Or so, even just yeah, having so. your money sit there because it doesn't make any money. It's like you can have $30,000 in the account and then you only make like $100 in interest. And it's just like, I could have did so much better if I would have put the money somewhere else. So. I got stuff spread all over the place. Me too. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. All right. Well, let's get into this conversation. Um, should I kick off this topic or do you want to do it, T-Mac? Go ahead and roll with it, Shane. All right. All right. So T-Mac has shared this article with us about older millennials um, being in management. And pretty much what it's saying is that older millennials are making it to management and they're wondering now if it's even worth it at this point. So, um, you know, just to give my perspective, and I guess this is my trans moment of transparency. For the last year and a half, I have been kind of been on this journey of trying to figure out what I want to do as far as, you know what my career trajectory is, what did I really want to do, um, you know, is struggling with the investment that I've made into education and career paths and things of that nature. And this article kind of spoke to me because I fell into that trap of, I got to a certain point in management, dealing with people, managing other people, and, and, and things of that nature. And then at the end of the day, I started feeling like, well, I don't even know if this is worth it or if this is what I even want to do anymore. Um, it was one of those things where you kind of work, work, work. And then you feel like these there's these microaggressions against you. You know, people are kind of undermining you. Um, you don't even know if your boss even likes you like that. And then especially being like the only black woman in management, it's just like, well, you know, you don't even know who your friends are at that point. So, you know, I went through a whole bunch of stuff with job. I want to say even before, like about almost a year before I left, I was talking to Neil and it's like, I'm thinking about leaving my job and just going to just kicking it and seeing what else I want to do and all that type of stuff. And lo and behold, I want to say eight months later, it happened. I was just like, I'm out of here. So, um, so this article spoke to me. I wouldn't suggest people do it the way I did it. The only reason I was I was able to do it was because I was secure in my financial state in order to take a extended period of time off to reflect. And really, I didn't even think I would be out this long until you know COVID hit because I was actively searching. Then COVID hit, then everything kind of dried up, and I was just like, "Well, shoot, I guess I need to focus on my family." I started losing family members and things of that nature. So um, focused on family for a while. Now I'm like going back to, okay, do I go back to healthcare um, management leadership or do I still pursue these other paths that I, um, and I, that I look for? And, and again, it kind of falls back to, is it even worth it? You know, managing people, dealing with the politics and all of that. You can make really good money. And I know people who make really, really good money who aren't dealing with the same crap. <laughs> So that's where it just kind of got me where it's just like, well, dang, I could have still a lucrative lifestyle and have a good lifestyle as far as, you know, having work-life balance and, and all of that without all the crap that comes with it. So that's where I am with it. This article spoke to me. I was kind of scared to read it at first because I was like, this is going to diagnose me and make me feel some type of way about myself. But it was actually speaking to my spirit about, you know, something that 
you kind of always feel like you're kind of going through alone, but no, it's like half the country is going through the same thing. So what did you guys think about this article? T-Mac, I'm going to let you go because I'm a Gen X. So I'm going to have to... No, you want to cuss. You got a couple years on me. Well, being that I'm 84, I'm definitely a millennial. I haven't reached I haven't even reached for it yet, but um, I'm real, real close. I'm real close. Close enough, should I say. So reading the article... Um, it kind of put things in perspective for me as it relates to who I am and what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis. Um, we were taught to go to school and that school was the way for us to accumulate wealth. And that school was the only way. Have, did y'all experience similar situations where your family was like, you know, college is the only option. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. College or, college or bust. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. At the chicken factory, as long as I was working, that's just kind of the mentality of people. If you brought some kind of a check home, right, that was just you made ends, you meet, you know, you make your ends meet. That's kind of like the thought process, you know, when I was growing up, especially from my household. Yeah, my I guess I can speak from that. Yeah, and really, the focus wasn't on what do you enjoy or what your passion is, it was more so like go to school so you can go make a lot of money. Like, you might not like being a lawyer or a doctor, but that's the expectation because you can go and make a lot of money. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think the main thing about this article is that, you know, as millennials, you know, a lot of people, I think we get a bad rep overall. I think it's really those ones that came like, you know, what what is that after me? It's the one after us. It's not not me and not our group. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not us. It well, no, me. they talk about but, us, too. They think we're entitled yeah, as well. I, I think, you know, I think that they say millennials get a bad rap, but overall, I think that we have gone through a lot to be under 40 years old. You know what I mean? Even 40, 40, I would say 45, 50 under anywhere in that range. You know, I think the thing that most categorizes me is I got out of undergrad in 2000 and don't make me lie, let me look, 2008. And oh, so, wow. you know, we were going through a recession in 2008. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree in healthcare management and went to a part-time job for a temp agency making $12 an hour because I had to find a job with no benefits. So we went through a lot. I had to leave healthcare for a while to get a check that had any kind of real money to it just because I wanted to be able to um, expand my, increase my you know living and things like that. But I navigated my way back to healthcare. Now that I'm here, I wonder if this is re- really where I want to be. I feel like, you know, as healthcare professionals, especially when you're non-clinical, it's hard for us. You know, um, as I've been searching for my next opportunity a lot of people want art for their positions a lot of people don't have i don't think that non-clinical degrees have the same respect in the healthcare industry that clinical degrees have and so it has put me in a situation like as hard as i've worked to get here hasn't been worth it for me because i'm not happy and i'm very early in my career to not be happy and mm. i y'all can cue the violin at that point y'all know. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's just true right now. So. No, I mean, we had to have a moment of silence because I was just yeah. like, you know, we've all kind of been through this. Like even talking to DeMille a couple of times, even before I left my job, you know, we were talking about our respective careers. And even DeMille was talking about like, well, I think I might try to find something else, too. Yeah. So yeah. that's the thing It's just, you know, I don't know if everybody go through it to this extent. But, you know, it's just difficult, especially when you don't have the mentors that other groups have. You know, I was in my role 
the only black woman in corporate in the corporate office at that time it was like you tried to make relationships it was hard to make relationships because you didn't relate to your co-workers and then you know you didn't know like you didn't really relate to your boss and then it was just kind of all kind of crushing in because like you know your credibility is always questioned even though you never gave a reason why reason for your credibility being questioned. So on top of not enjoying your role or not enjoying the people that you work for or work with, you have all these other things that are laying on top of that, you know, all those other pressures. So it's not even the pressure of the role, it's the social pressure that comes around it as well that makes you feel like, well, dang, do I even, do I even need to be in this? Or, you know, is, am, I, am I still a fit for these roles? Or do I even want to be a fit for them? Absolutely. So, the bill. Yes. Also, you're not a millennial by definition. Yeah. How do you feel about the article as it relates to being in, you know, a middle management role and the responsibilities as it relates to what you thought it would be versus what it actually is for you? So, I think from a Gen X, right? I think um, it was very... There was parts of the article I could relate to, especially um, getting in a place where you, A, don't feel like you're happy or you're not growing fast enough, right? And the perception of it all. So from a Gen X, we were, a lot of us was born single parent homes type of situation. So we have very little guidance and parenting type of skills. So we learn very quickly to be very independent and very quick on our feet. And then um, the majority of us have like a... Um, a very work savvy side and a very creative side. So nine out of ten, when I'm off balance and I may not feel like I'm liking what I'm doing because all the parts of me are not fit, and it can throw me completely off right now. So right now, work is going good. Right, I'm in school, but then I still feel like I'm not completely fulfilling everything because I have not tapping something creative yet to fulfill everything. Right, which is a weird very weird thing um so management to me um and one of the good things i think with me when i grew up i didn't i grew up i was all i had was tv right and i didn't even know what i wanted to be when i grew up so i thought when i became a nurse i was just going to be a nurse practitioner for oncology and then i got bit by the management bug and then i fell in love with it so that's one of the things about gen x is we have to have passion about what we do and we have to love what we do so Hands down, I wake up never regretting what I do. I love what I do, right? It's when you don't love it, that's when I kind of the, the boats kind of shake a little bit or whatever, right? And I've been in certain situations where I work for people who I felt didn't respect or understand my creative side on how I do things because I, I hit an approach thing from a very untraditional thing to get the same things accomplished from any kind of textbook or whatever you kind of with the school for and, and this is how you're supposed to come that can um to that conclusion but if i can't think freely and work and have a lot of autonomy then that's not the place for me to work right so that's when i get to a place where i've actually left jobs not because of like any other reasons just because i didn't feel like i could be creative in my space and lead people and manage people the way i wanted to so yeah so if i'm not fulfilling all those things and not hitting or tapping in at one time then i am either questioning myself and pushing myself because I can't function on 100%. I have to run on like 150 to 200%. But what the article kind of turned me back turned to is that sometimes we can move so fast and you may look on the outside that you are like, people look at you and say, oh, you, you're checking the box. You got everything done. But truly, you're moving so fast that sometimes half of the stuff isn't done and you may not be at a good place 
internally from a um, purpose and a personal side that you don't see that because you're so used to trying to take care of other people. Y'all know how I be want to take care of people and I have to <laughs> be taking care of my own self. So that can put me in a bad place. And I kind of saw that in an article where they were getting these jobs. They were having this quote unquote, this perception of a lifestyle type thing, but they were not happy. Um, and I've only had a little bit of that in my life so far. Um, majority of, yeah, all rewarding. I can't really complain about a lot of stuff, but I'm a very like a thoroughbred. I will work a job. I'm a creature of habit so I can't do it anymore as long as I can remain creative in that space that I'm in. Um, then I'm good. You will keep for 20 years or so. Yeah. So you brought up a point earlier about sometimes that um, the Phoenix millennials, whatever your definition of where you are, um, let's go, like, let's be concerned. Let's say anybody, you know, 45 and under is kind of the dynamic that we can consider. I think that putting millennials in the title could be somewhat misleading because I think it can apply to, you know, people outside of that category. And speaking of the article, the name of the article is Older Millennials Made It to Management. Now they're wondering if they even want to be the boss by Jenny Liu. And this article was found on CNBC.com. And so as it relates to that, I was thinking about what you said earlier about moving up fast enough and how we feel. Does that have something to do or do you guys feel that it has something to do with us being the microwave generation where we want things fast, because if you think about management, how long it takes some people to move up in roles and how fast we're like looking for those opportunities. Do you think that us having, a, I, I guess, a tag of being the microwave society, does that have an impact on our satisfaction in our roles? I, I think to a certain extent, I think stagnation is probably more so of the culprit than not moving fast enough. Um, yes, we want to move up. We want to have titles, but I think people can be satiated by having like stuff to do and new things to learn and, and continually growing and, and changing and expanding their role. I think, well, you know, let me not generalize because some people want to just do the one function and they want to go home and get their paycheck and stay home. But some people are, they just want to be used. They want to be used to their capacity. And I think that's probably more so of what people expect than they than just you know i want a new title and all that type of stuff now there are those title hungry people who chase them and things of that nature but at the end of the day i think most people who are serious about their careers just want to be stimulated they want to have, be able to express their creativity they want to be able to be a part of new things in order to stay to stay fresh and once that stagnation sets in, that's what makes people start to really question, is it worth it? On top of everything else, all the other pressure that comes with it, they don't feel like you're growing, then you just kind of start, you know, throwing your hands up at that point. What about you, Demi? How do you feel about that? Well, so I'm, <laughs> I, because of being, like, not having the most, like, the best confidence, right? So I I was a slow cooker, like a, like a rotisserie. Right. And I was in this point in my career, whatever I had, whatever I was doing, I had to get uncomfortable and go to a situation to validate what was working in the previous job. Right. So I just had a conversation with someone the other day when I was having a mentoring and coaching moment where I said, you know, very eager to, to, to do certain things. And, you know, I'm saying 
I'm like, you got to work on your whole self and be able to, to, to be prepared to speak at any table, not be a bobblehead. And some of that stuff comes along with time and experience, right? There's one thing that kind of jumping into something and have like a tiny bit of understanding of it, but it speaks a whole lot when you completely understand the whole process. So with me, I've worked jobs, had really successful outcomes with those particular jobs. But then when I felt like I had already checked the box on that, something was like, let me move to another facility just to make sure that my recipe is validated. And then if I look back five years plus, these people are still here doing what I left behind. So I've been very, I feel like my pace has been very, not say slow, but it, it was been on time. I hadn't rushed anything and I, I hadn't really expected anything. So anything that has come to me, I prepared for it, but wasn't seeking it. Does right. that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. it makes perfect yeah. sense. So what about you, T-Mac? What are your thoughts on that? I, I think that, honestly, from my perspective, I think that because I have a slow start, I can understand the perspective of wanting to move faster um, because I feel like I'm behind where I should be, but I have to understand that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. Exactly. And I have to serve completely in the role that I'm in in order to move to the next level. But I also think that being stagnant is not good for me, um, and, and I don't find satisfaction in that, and I find myself feeling like I am somewhat incomplete from a career perspective i think that for me because like i said when i got out in 08 with the recession and everything it took me a, a good minute to start my healthcare career even though that's always what i knew i wanted to do and so me being five or six years behind you know typically when you look for a leadership role they want you to have five or six years of industry experience but my first couple of years was not in the industry. So when I got in the industry, I'm like, okay, let me, let me make, let me speed up a little bit to make up for the time that I felt that I lost. But what I realized when I got in these rooms that I am still in a room, but I'm the only black female, the most educated. And although I don't have the most experience, I do have the most formal education, which does matter in a lot of instances, because what happens is what I'm realizing and the thing that I've seen the most of in these rooms is that they're, their, their value is based on the knowledge that they have for the company that they work for. And it's not based in any kind of analytical or critical thinking skills. And so that's my advantage, and that's the advantage that being formally educated gave to me that a lot of these people in these rooms don't have. And so I feel like being in these rooms, we feel they're intimidated by us because of our presence, number one. And, and number two, I feel like when you deal in that, those situations, you have to be careful because you're dealing with people that want to hinder you, whether it be discreetly or indiscreetly. You know what I mean? Like, for example, coming into a role new and I'm reaching out to someone that I know has the information instead of her sharing the knowledge, she'll say, oh, I'll handle it for you or, I'll, you know, no, I want to learn, you know. And so I think that that makes me uncomfortable and that makes me want to move on. Mm-hmm. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> no. I have a question for you. So, T-Mac, are the, the people who may be there because of work experience, do they... Do they, the ones who may not have all the formal education, do they look like you or are they not like us? Well, are they? Well, well it's, it's nobody in the room that looks like me. Um, not a soul, not not a minority at all. Um, and my organization was, for backstory, you know, won't disclose who they are. Um, maybe, you know, somebody on here may go visit them one day for some health care. Uh, <laughs> um, There's a lot of so it was a lot of, you know, I have people that, you know, hired their mothers and hired their brothers and their cousins and things like that. And so as the organization began to change, um, I'm one of the new faces. So I make it uncomfortable for them. And I do it on purpose because I, you know, as a, as a 
strong personality, you know, you command attention when you come in the room and everybody doesn't feel comfortable with that presence. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, the reason why I ask that because the hospital I work at now, which it, a few years back, it was run pretty much like a mom and pop store. So when I first came mm-hmm. in, they were all like, oh, you oh, you already have a master's degree? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been here that for a few years. Now, this ain't nothing new. But then all my peers were even trying to get their undergrad. Wow. Absolutely. That's how you should It was not. And now all of them are to that point. But I was like, no, when you're from the side of the world, I came from on the East Coast, this is how you were trained, right? But they, that was the first question, not like, hello, how are you doing? Have a seat. <laughs> Here go a piece of cornbread. So I got, uh, <laughs> you, already, you already got your master's degree. And I said, yeah, I had it for a few years now. I'm like, what's the next question? So it, it so I get that. So I get how, then it makes exactly- yeah. That's exactly the situation. And I say that exactly like some people still don't have it because what happened was um, the organization was per- the mom and pop was purchased by a larger healthcare organization um, that required a certain level of education to maintain their role. Um, and some people still don't have it. So I don't know who's monitoring to decide because, and you know, nothing against those people that work from the bottom, you know, started from the bottom, now they're here kind of people. You know what I mean? I fully respect that, but I think that it's a dual respect that should be given on both sides. But, you know, when you have people that, that, that the highest education they have is, a, um, you know, like a medical lab technician, something like that. And, you know, you're a director, you've done a great job because clearly you did something to get, well, not always, but. It is our hope that you did something to get you here um, that demonstrated leadership and, you know, something of value to the organization. But that doesn't discount the person that got it from a different way because I'm, you know, 20 years younger than you or whatever. So shout out to having the same degree too, T-Mac. I know we had the same undergrad degree. I didn't realize that. See, we learned stuff. I have- we are like, we are friends, baby. Yeah. This Everybody in healthcare, how often do you go with a group of people and like all of you guys are in in, in the same kind of field? You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of us, you know, from our group. If you think about it, it's a lot of us from our group that are in healthcare. And, you know, it not only can we relate personally, but we, we can relate professionally as well. So right. um another question that you guys brought up earlier was um well somebody mentioned something about and I wrote I took a note of it, it was like passion of profession. So as it relates to the burnout, as we've been talking about, and the desire to be in middle management, do you guys think that you you gain the passion? Does the passion for the profession increase as you're in those roles, or does it decrease? And what's your perspective on that? From my perspective, I, I would think that I think it depends on the organization and what the person does for themselves um, to keep their passion going. But sometimes, <laughs> if anybody's like me, I'm one of those people, I lose interest in a lot of things quickly. So I have to be constantly <laughs> stimulated, like, in everything. In everything. Don't let that, <laughs> Don't let that go over your heads. Don't let that go over your heads. But no, I have to constantly be um, to be stimulated. So I think the big thing is, yeah, I think sometimes you do lose passion. I, I will admit, I lost passion. That's why I was just like, I have to step back from this because... You know, I love it. I loved what I was doing at one point, and then it just changed. I don't know if it was just because leadership changed or, you know, things were happening between me and my boss where I just didn't like working for him anymore, and it just kind of seeped into everything else or whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, for me, there's a constant 
work that you have to do in order to keep your passion up. And then you have to make sure you are in those circles and in those environments and atmospheres that will actually keep cultivating your passion too. Because your environment can siphon everything that you got, no matter how hard you work. And if you're still plugged into something that's just draining your energy from that, you're not going to hold on to that passion. So, um, yeah, it's going to be inner work and outer work that you have to do in order to keep it. But um, but as you're in the roles, I wouldn't say the role itself gives you that passion. Mm. If that makes any sense. No, it does. Because, yeah, so for my profession, the passion will never go out because I love what I, I love being a nurse. Right. 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 But the roles. Right. And to your point, um, Shay, if the role and the work-life balance doesn't match up for me, sometimes will have me spinning. Right. So I have to make sure that just as much as I'm on that high with work, I come down, I isolate myself, I refocus, I recenter, all those type of things to be good. So if those things aren't all in place, then I can see where I may be getting burned out, not liking what I'm doing. But as long as I can balance it out, right, because that's a big thing with me. If I can find a balance, I'll just, like I said, I'll keep working. You'll get a good 20 years out of me. But the profession of what I do, I'll never lose that passion for. But the roles that I've gotten, I got to make sure that the, I don't overwhelm myself and try to do too much for not listening to my internal self when I need to pull back and, and center myself. So, yeah. I want to take a different direction on my answer for the passion of the profession. I think the ultimate reason I got in healthcare is still my passion. I, I got into healthcare because I really love taking care of people. And my passion is to take care of people that are less fortunate. And I think that from a perspective that at the time, not being exposed to various career paths and things like that, um, coming from where I came from, healthcare seemed like the most viable option at the time. Right. Um, as I, or you know, as I become more versed in opportunities that you know that you see out, I feel like that I could have probably had the same passion for like a nonprofit, or I feel like I could have, um, you know, served more directly hands on in the community. I think the passion for my profession that I think my passion for this profession is because I want to serve people. But what I'm realizing is it depends on who you work for, um, from a healthcare perspective, exactly. whether you're for people or for the profit. And I think that, um, a lot of these organizations are for the profit. And so that kind of removes my passion from my current role. No, and I totally get that. And it's not even for-profit healthcare versus like not-for-profit. Even not-for-profits are the same way where it's just like, <laughs> you know, you're trying to be in it for the right reasons. You go into it to help people and they say that they're doing it too. But at the end of the day, when you're at the table with them and they're making these decisions about where they're going to put new healthcare facilities and things of that nature and none are in our neighborhoods or none are, you know, in neighborhoods that are less served or whatnot, then you start to think, like, are you really for us? Are you for the people? Or are you just for the people who got the money? Because that's where you're you're circling as far as putting all your facilities. And so I totally get that. And also, you know, just who you work for. I mean, again, it goes back to my point of, yeah, I can love what I do, but, you know, you can hate who you do it for. And that, that helps to siphon the passion out of you as well. Listen, y'all, this is like, this is why, you know, I told y'all I didn't listen to anything, but but a uh, healthcare podcast. And, you know, y'all are speaking to my spirit tonight. So I got a question. I'm, you know, All right, interview. And, and, and I mean, my question is, they're just like rolling out. But, I'm, you know, I ain't going to ask them all. I'll say something for later. But for right now, like speaking of the people, y'all the people. Okay. All right. So, 
feel like, I know we've talked about our roles and where we are. Do we feel like we got to be representative of the people, our people? Like, do we walk in the room feeling like I'm representing for every black man, every black woman, am I the one that these people are going to look at to see how we are or who we are? I don't, per se, but I do think your reflection it's like let me go back i think they do see your skin color i'm just gonna be mm-hmm. totally honest and i've never been like the black white person and probably until like maybe like two years ago where i started just being like well dang i think i might have had some racism there but no <laughs> it's just like, but no it's just like um but you know i never felt like i was representative of the culture but i did think that people saw my skin color and they discounted certain things about me no matter what my degrees were what certifications i had and things of that nature or what i've proved in the past i always constantly felt like i was reproving myself and i think part of it was probably race but i think some of it is cultural incompetence as well because we don't relate to each other we don't relate to each other. I, I don't care about your kids. You know, I don't care about, I don't want to listen to White Snake or Miley Cyrus. And I don't, you know, I don't want to go to the hockey game. Per it. I don't want to go to the hockey game. And then you don't want to hear about 21 Savage. I was sad that he was in jail. Nobody cared that he was in jail but me. Or nobody wants to hear about little baby and his new album and stuff like that. So you got you got the 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 things that you don't really you're not compatible with them from a social perspective. So all you have to lean on is your professional, and then on top. And you, we know that you know it's not about what you know; it's about who you know and who you're in bed with, as far as from a relationship perspective. So I, I think you know it's a race and a cultural thing, huh? I'm talking about figuratively, not literally. Figuratively. I'm sorry, we changed the subject. I'm talking figuratively, guys. But but at the end but at the end of the day, I don't think it's just race because I think some black people get in there and they, they are good friends because they have those backgrounds and they have those social backgrounds with um with other groups and whatnot. But I think the vast majority of us struggle because of the race thing and I can't just can't relate to you on that. So all I am oh, so like all I am leaning on is that is that um is that work thing. So to piggyback off that and then Demille, I'm sorry, I, I, I want your answer to this, but I want to ask Shay from the, this perspective as it relates to that. So uh-huh. you have you never felt like I can't say what I want to say because I'm gonna be the black woman with the attitude. Oh yeah, all the time. Oh, okay. oh, but again, okay. it wasn't me representing my race. I was just thinking that they they probably already because I've experienced where I was passionate about something. I mean, literally experienced where I was just like, you know, I had a reaction to something and they thought I was being aggressive. Or they thought I was being like, it was almost like, well, I almost scared them. And I was just like, well, dang, I'm just, I'm just reacting. I I had a little passion. But then if I didn't have any passion or if I didn't have any type of reaction, it's almost like, oh, well, she's not, she's not engaged or she's not, she's not all here and all that. So it's just like, I could never find that mix because it was just like, when I'm too calm, it's like, well, she doesn't have a sense of urgency. And then if I'm, if I'm overly reactive, it's like, oh, well, she scared me. Just like, okay, well, where do I come? <laughs> what about you, Demille? Do you think you got to represent the people? I think 
you there's so there's two lanes. You 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 grow and you, you be true to yourself, right? The first thing. But I think some of those things that you can't help but not have to represent your people. Right? Because I feel like just like you know how Shay was saying earlier and I think maybe you mentioned too, I have been a lot of first of a lot of mm-hmm. things in my profession. Like a lot of like a lot of the like leadership positions, especially as a black male in a very dominant female driven profession. So the expectation already for me not to be able to perform or even know what I'm talking about at the table because I traditionally don't fit the mold of what you would see as a nurse. So it not only the, and it, I won't even consider pressure. I think it just made me work on my craft a little bit better for when I did walk and I talk and I spoke anything related to my profession. I caught the the attention of the, the the room, for they really knew that I was skilled and sounding what I what I was doing as a profession. But then also letting them know that because you may have a fixation or idea of what how we should act at a table, not being able to take have a conversation at a table that can drive and move change and you know cause change to happen within healthcare. I still I made sure that. Um, I did it in a way that you didn't forget who I was as a black male, right? I have never went by the traditional haircut. And it's so funny. Me and my friends just had a conversation about this thing where should black men cut their hair to look more like the typical Wall Street 9 to 5 type thing. I will never lose that. I will keep a part in the side of my hair. I'll make sure it's kinky and stuff like that. And I'll sometimes always dress like it's Easter Sunday because I just want to make sure that... People understand that you can you can you can package all that up and still get the same person that is that maybe uh, you know another color could be white could be something else because in that part in in that presence and stuff I hope that they learn stuff and we and they we educate each other so I'm always for something I don't understand I try to understand it and if it's a lot of questions I kind of can get to the point where it's enough question and being an investigation on hold up are you really trying to get to know me for who I am or are you just trying to check the box because I, I'm a, a person of color, mm-hmm. and you want to go back home and tell people that you know that you talk to me, and these are the things that you want to repeat into in other conversations. So I, I think it's a balance. I think it, it's part of what we should be doing, not saying we have to be raising our fists and doing certain things, but I think when people see us enough and we hold ourselves to a certain standard, right, not a quote-unquote white standard, right, because I feel like we have different layers to us, and this is just mm-hmm. a different layer to our culture that people should be okay that we can demand certain things to happen, sit at a table, drive the conversation versus being asked questions during the conversation. So, no. So, I don't know. I think we should be, we do our part and stuff like that at the same time. But, you know, I think it's good to have the conversation with people that you, of different races and stuff like that. Um, because you, you you learn along the way. You learn how sometimes when you may get that question asked, but you really want to say something else, but you figure out how to answer it, but at the same time still do that little that little slap in the face or that little jive to let them know that you heard what they were trying to get to. So I always mm-hmm. a challenge. <clears throat> so I wonder, this is one thing I kind of wonder sometimes as far as being black on top of being a millennial in these spaces. Do y'all think that a black man might have an easier time than a black woman in these areas? Absolutely. Because I, I don't know. I asked because I hear all this stuff like the black man. Oh, we are battling the toe pole. I was like, I really think it's a black woman. So honestly, I, I really think we're the ones that, you know, we kind of down here and then the black man. I think you're more accepted in these spaces. I don't know why. 
it just feels like you guys are more respected. You can have a different attitude and you still, or even a similar attitude to me, but you're still not as much of a threat to them as, as I am. It was a slogan. It was like, and I can't remember what it, it was like. The black man is the, like, what is it? The black man is like the white woman. Uh, what was it? The white woman? Oh, yeah, I, re- I remember what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, 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 like the I, oh, 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 oh the meal was just like, oh no, oh no. And disagree on the profession. Sorry. I said, can we agree and disagree on the profession? Okay, so what are we agreeing and disagreeing on? Um, so I just gave you an example that I am in a predominantly. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree with that. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Yeah, because it's not. You may qualify for a pass on that. You may. No, no, he he's good on his. Like not you. Not you. What I did on get out. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. People, whether it be black, whether it be other black women, white women, white men, everybody is like intimidated by a black woman. It's, we are not received the same. We aren't. We are not received the same. And I, and I cannot get my brother's a husband <laughs> or any other man to understand <laughs> our perspective as it relates to how we are received. Black men are, they're envied, they're admired, and they're desired by every other race. Y'all can go anywhere and and do anything. Y'all are just like, y'all are the shit. I love my black men. Shout out to the black men that's listening to this podcast. (laughs) But but seriously, like, you guys can go in a room and I can go in a room and say the same thing. And it, it can be, it will be better received. Because a black man said it over a black woman saying it. Now, of course, you know, there are other people that can say it that may receive it even better. But from the perspective of a black man, black woman, you guys are received a lot better than us. You you guys are. I feel like I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to say that for a I feel like there was a bit. There was going to be a note, kind of, kind of put there. Yeah, what's that? What's that asterisk that we missing? You might as well fill in the blank. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, you know, that's one thing I've kind of struggled with too, as I've kind of been on my sabbatical and, and going through my my thoughts and things of that nature. Is you know, I feel like. I, I've tried to play the game. I've tried to to be that person where it's like, okay, Shay, you need to you need to fall back. You need to you know kind of reserve comment on this. You don't have to always fight a pushback. But I would see a black man doing pretty much the same thing I would be doing, or saying the same thing, or maybe having a different type of attitude. And it's like they're petted, or it's Absolutely. almost like you know they're being coddled. And that sounds, that's not a negative connotation on it. It's just almost like they are, they get a little bit more grace than a black woman would. Mm. I'm trying to, you know, I got to touch this with like kitten gloves because I don't change. <laughs> you know, like 
every black woman in this um in the in the nation. So no, I, I so here's the thing. I I hundred percent agree with you guys on that. So I'll give you I'll I'll so I'll so I'll I'll share this with you guys. So we are in the process of hiring a um black director. Blah blah blah. Right. I had to, and this is I struggle with this. I had to call her <laughs> pre-interviews and coach her on how to get through the interviews and how to maintain the, the speed of her conversation, the tone of her conversation, because the culture was, she's, a, she's, it's not acceptable, right? Not all, not, a, I don't, we're getting there, right? But not acceptable to the point of having a lot of strong black women present. And this lady was educated and too, like, because she's from the, from the East Coast, not knocking any women from the West Coast, but <laughs> we're just we're just trained a different way when it comes to, right. to getting certain things in life, right? Right. Um, right. Um, and she was she checked the box on every little bit of the things, but then I ran through every person that she was going to interview. She told her this one you can't talk to, you can't talk over. This one you got to make sure you allow the space. This one you got to make sure you a little bit like this. And I was like, so listening to you guys now, I was like, this is what I did. I had to, she's going to get the job, but I had to set her up to, to communicate. Yeah. And because some of the feedback she got in her original first two interviews that she, and they try to, they try to like dummy it up and just say, oh, I didn't have enough time to speak in the, in the, in, in the interview. No, you just wanted to talk over her. That's what it was. Right. But your thing was, I didn't have enough time to speak. So then I had to, call her and say, hey, here's the feedback. This is where it's coming from. When you address X, Y, Z, blah, 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 this is how you need to go in. Even though you know how you need to answer the question, but make it feel like it's more on his side of the thing that he's driving the conversation. So, I get it. I'm not knocking it. I just was like, gosh, like, how do you change that perception of that? So, no, it's, yeah, I'm agreeing with you guys. I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. No, and the thing is, I you know, I know in in several spaces, you know, a black man is targeted and things of that nature. But when they make it to a certain space in corporate America, they definitely trump us. I'm sorry. I mean, yes, we've made it certain places too, whatnot. But at the end of the day, on the totem pole, going back to what T-Mac was saying about that, I can't remember. I know what you're talking about as far as where it was like the black man is a white woman of of the minorities or whatever. It was something like that. But apparently, yeah, I, I agree with that. I really do think that, you know, black men do have preferential treatment over a black woman in certain spaces. Absolutely. So, but... All right, guys. So what are your closing thoughts on this? What confessions are you going to make about this conversation? What, what What's kind of sticking out to you? What are you, what are you thinking? Demille, I'll let you go first. All right. I, I think when, as it, as it relates to middle management or even higher than that, right? I think after this, this current year, regardless of what generational gap or whatever you fall in, I think it's going to test everyone, right? Anyone who is responsible for whether it's four people, 20 people, or 5,000 people will question um, is this something I want to continue to do, right? Um, and if, is there a better way of doing things in life that still make sure that I am um, financially taken care of, mentally taken care of, you know, in those type of spaces and stuff like that. So I think this was a good conversation to kind of start that because I think People will continue to go down patterns, but I think even with my own personal self, 
I have noticed now that I need some time to kind of regroup a little bit. I still want to continue this path, but I need to listen to myself. So I think those questions will come up a lot as in the corporate world or wherever um, as you lead people because there, this year was a lot of responsibility to put on any leader or manager. Both You should be both, right? Um, on how to carry the weight and look out for people and be responsible for so many things in such a quick and fast turnaround based on this pandemic. So, um, no, I think the biggest thing right now is that we need to listen to our own self, identify our life priorities and stuff like that, By um, and also making sure we fulfill everything that we want to do, too. Because I think sometimes, especially, especially me, I hold myself back because I get a little nervous of venturing outside of things that I'm comfortable about. So that's my two cents on that. All right. What about you, T-Mac? What are you confessing? I, I think that I've learned a lot. You know, I think one of the things that just came up in my mind, the word that just came to me is like, Something that I feel like I've dealt with, but we're gonna put this on the we're gonna put this on the board, the parking lot. We're gonna we do the parking lot. <laughs> um, but you know, like dealing with like for example, syndrome and how it relates to reading that article and the things that it talked about. But I think the main points that I've taken from this is that it's important that I check in with myself to see and ensure that I'm where I need to be as it relates to feeling comfort or or happiness in what I'm doing, and I think that. One thing I need to also work on is assessing my value as it relates to how I am viewed by my organization. And if I don't feel valued, it's time for me to move on. And I think that that will assist with the actual feeling of the burnout um, as it relates to your role. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I really think the one thing that I would say for me that's a big confession as far as my trajectory is that I stayed too long in a space where I knew I was not, I was not valued and I was no longer um, respected. And I stayed for the sake of time and the sake of having experience for my resume um, without really thinking about, okay, it's time to move on because, you know, I thought, being a good worker and a good leader is leading through harm and leading through tough times, but wasn't really looking at those tough times and how they really impacted me and my psyche and my mental health and, and my growth in the industry. So I would say that for anybody, just check in with yourself and be honest with yourself about the role that you're in. And if it's siphoning the passion that you have, and if it is, it's time to move on at the end of the day. Because um, at the end of the day, these organizations, you can get hit by a bus and they will go on. They'll send flowers and about a week or a month later, they'll have your job posted. So check in with you, focus on what you want and, and put it down, write it down and, and go for it. At the end of the day, because again, you you got to be out for you. Nobody else is, so got to sure, do it. Sure, you said you said some, something about staying too long in a space, spending time, value, and all that. It sounds like you're talking about a romantic relationship. Is that what topic three is going to be about? Are we going to talk about romantic? <laughs> we might. It depends on what we feeling like when we get together next time. It might be it, but no, it that. But the thing is, you're right. It it, it can be. It can apply to work relationships, friendships, all kinds of stuff. If it no longer serves you, you need to move on. Why why hold on to it? But we're going to leave Somebody it that for next time or a future topic. We got to figure out how we're going to feel at the next one. So <laughs> with that, guys, thank you. 
And thank you for joining us for No RSVP Required.